The Movement Brainery. You're listening to Masters in Motion, a limited edition podcast about physical therapy leaders and their stories so that we can apply those same lessons to our own lives and the challenges that lie ahead. Hey guys, this is part three of the three-part recap of the season. These short reflection episodes are more bite-sized pieces of the larger episodes and the wisdom gleaned from these master clinicians. So be sure to listen to the episodes in their entirety when you get a chance. This episode is also special because it's the last one of these that we'll be doing, at least for a while. I'm not sure if we're going to come back and do another round of these interviews. So for this episode, we're looking to the future. This year, 2021, marks the 100th anniversary of the APTA. And before I get to where the guests on our show see us going in the future, let's take a quick look back at the past. On our very first bonus episode, way back at the beginning of the podcast, I did a different sort of episode about Mary McMillan and her efforts to build physical therapy as a profession in the U.S. and abroad. There are a lot of similarities between those two times. While we may not be in the midst of two world wars, we are just ending the longest war in American history. And while we may not be dealing with the disabilities as dramatic as that seen in polio, we are just coming out of the worst pandemic in a century. But at least in my mind, there's nothing that highlights how far we've come than the description of Mary's beginning as the first Reconstruction aid. After her swearing in as the first Reconstruction aid in the United States Army, in February of 1918, Mary wandered the halls handing out pamphlets like an, quote, encyclopedia salesman. Many physicians in the hospital were wary of Mary and what they perceived to be physical therapy's intrusion into the medical profession. Some physicians even warned their patients not to trust her. The first physical therapist in the Army, Mary initially had no clinical space and treated patients in hallways and on the hospital porch. Nevertheless, Mary's persistence, cheerful nature, and skillful hands slowly began to earn her recognition. As Elizabeth Blackwell famously said, It is not easy to be a pioneer, but oh, is it fascinating. If you didn't catch it, there was also something really interesting in Mary's episode. How physical therapy as a profession got its name. As the war ended, there was the matter of what to do with this new profession. Physical therapy physicians, having created reconstruction aids, now decided that their names should change from aides to physical therapists in order to indicate that they operated at a technician level and only under the physician's direction. It's interesting to reflect on how inextricable those two professions were in the early years. Essentially, physical therapy physicians 
evaluated patients and determined rehabilitation needs, while physical therapists carried out most of the procedural tasks. Later on in our season, another guest, Shirley Sarman, made the case for changing that name to reflect how far we've come and where we want to go as a profession. I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm going to go for broke with you, Seth. I think we need to change the name of the practitioner. I, I think we should get rid of being therapist. We don't have to change the name of the profession. But, you know, speech did this. They're speech and language pathologists. They're not therapists. A therapist does something that somebody else figured out. They deliver up the, the therapy. And that makes it sound generic. It makes it sound like you're all about doing things and not understanding things. We actually asked every guest on our show this question about the future of physical therapy. Some had an optimistic outlook, but many gave strong words of caution. One of the most common targets was what many saw as the pressures placed on physical therapists from productivity standards and mill clinics to insurance payment continually declining. I think that um, physical therapy is really at a, <clears throat> at a crossroads in that um, nowadays uh, with the way sort of <clears throat> the larger depart- hospital departments are going and, and the emphasis on productivity, I, I, I think it's a shame that um, physical therapists are sort of left to work at the coalface and uh, the emphasis is on productivity um, and, and you can't just sort of be in a machine and keep working. Uh, and I think that, that that is a problem with the way, the way it's going. What do I see? I spend so much time seeing other people's failures and there may be a lot of people listening to this that also do that. And if you're really honest, uh, uh, you have to look and to see what wasn't done. Because sometimes it's not because you're so great. It's because whoever saw them before was so off the mark. Uh, and I said sometimes with that, and I, I, I want to say more times than not, I feel like the basics are missed. And I think some of it is there's a uh, there's a big push. I mean, I feel badly for young clinicians. Uh, uh, you get this because you saw it and decided you were going to open a practice yourself. The reason you open a practice yourself is so you can practice the way you want to practice. Uh, many of these people go into these uh, environments where uh, it's like widgets. It's patient production units, patients per man hour. Uh, and then abuse of the uh, the billing codes, like there's five people in there, they're all seen for an hour, really, during the same hour? How did that happen? Uh, it's, first of all, illegal. Uh, but never mind that, let's just call it the, the ethics of progressing the profession. It's really difficult for any uh, uh, PT to enhance, to develop, to grow their skill set uh, if what they're doing is trying to hurry up. Uh, hurry up and get to the next person. Just do what it is that you do. You know, you can manipulate anybody. Uh, that doesn't necessarily require thinking. You can dry a needle anybody. That doesn't necessarily require thinking. Uh, you have to analyze whether or not you're actually getting them someplace. And, uh, you know, I worry that there's so little of that done. Uh, you have to uh, add into that 
you know, if I go to a coffee store and I get bad coffee, I'm probably not going back. I'm going to go to the place that I got really good coffee. Well, if that consumer doesn't even know what good PT is, but they know that the uh, insurance company has a deal with this particular place, and that's where they go, uh, then you set up a scenario where the third-party payer is impressed that they're not getting much out of this physical therapy stuff. The deliverer, the physical therapist, isn't really incentivized to enhance their their skill set, their care, and then the the recipient of that uh, care uh, is led to believe that well, that's all there is to offer in physical therapy. Well, <laughs> I feel a great concern, and and the concern is very personal. And I mean that I'm on the sunset side of my years. And I still have a lot of excitement, but I am not at a place in my life where I have to see X number of patients to have a decent living. And the future PTs are face with that type of encumbrance as well as huge loans that put that financial burden into overdrive in order to make a decent living so so my concern as i said is personal in that my daughter is a pt and I would not want her to succumb to the pressures of having to make that living because she's faced with unsurmounting debt or unsurmounting charting paperwork demands that take away from face-to-face time in the clinic because that's where we have an expertise to offer. Some specific visions for the profession also came through. Shirley Sarman offered several suggestions for change. However, the strongest was perhaps her continuing to come back to us embracing our role as diagnosticians. By virtue of our diagnosis and our knowledge base, we're, we're going to see a, we're going to be able to accomplish that um, vision of transforming society uh, by optimizing movement to enhance the human experience. I thought when I first read it, I thought, you know, I'd fall about laughing, but it's really true, but not the way we're going now. Not, Not with this variability in practice, not with this generic belief that therapy is therapy, no matter what form it is, is, um, is, is not going to get it done. Vicki Johnson was one of those on the podcast that highlighted a need for good mentorship. Mentorship is so needed and not mentorship where someone just watches you do a technique and two or three times and says, okay, I can check you off on that te- technique or mentorship where you're required to watch, you know, videos or participate virtually with classes. I'm talking about mentorship, the kind that we offer through our residencies and fellowships. Day in and day out, you're there with your mentor. You sit down every day at lunch and you share your failures and try to figure out what you're going to do different. You can call someone in the room 
at the drop of a hat and say, can you just look at this real quickly? I don't know what I'm seeing or feeling here. That's the kind of mentorship we need. And in a similar vein, Joe Farrell had a very specific vision about physical therapy and developing post-professional education. State and federal governments will start funding fellowship and residency programs like they do the medical profession. And I think that's going to be key to our success is getting more funding. I think that um, if I recall two, three years ago, there were four, over 450 DPT graduates that wanted to do a residency program and there was no program for them. I think we're going to see a proliferation. Um, about 10 years ago, um, I don't know if you knew Dr. Jay Ergang. He's from University of Pittsburgh. He was president yeah. of orthopedic section. And I remember in his first letter to the section, you know, then that orthopedic practice publication, he said his dream, and this has been my dream probably for 25 years, is that every university should have a residency and a fellowship program in some one to five specialty areas. And I think if we can do that, I, I see a bright future set. When I take a look back at this podcast and what I myself was able to learn, I think there's a ton that we can each take away and apply to our own lives. My challenge for you over the next week, month, and year is to try and apply these lessons to your own life. Try and build a reflective practice. Help mentor younger clinicians. Focus on the patient and be involved with our profession. If you want the profession to go in a different direction, get involved. It's clear to me that the external challenges we face as a profession are no less daunting than those internal challenges we face as individuals. We're going to need all hands on deck and hopefully hands and minds that have spent some time trying to refine their craft and ready themselves for the future. This is the last episode for a while, but you can stay involved in these sorts of conversations in our Facebook group, Mindful Clinicians. We're also going to be launching a few continuing education courses over the next year, and we'll be getting that info out shortly. So if you want to stay in the loop, uh, drop your name into our website at themovementbrainery.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong.